times are a-changing. And changing at an incredible rate. Job kind of introduces what I want to deal with this morning. There is a, a statement he makes in chapter 29 of his book that will really set up the, the whole message this Lord's Day morning. He had been living in days when God's face had been shining brightly upon him. And it had gone that way year after year after year after year. He had enjoyed the sunshine of God's face. He had enjoyed peace. Ten children, happy, blessed of God. And he said during that time, he makes the comment in referring back to it after things changed for him. He said at that point in time, I shall now die. I shall die in my nest. I shall die in my nest. Job had been living in a very nice, comfortable nest, and he thought it was going to be that way until he died. Things were not going to change. But we all know that's not how it worked out for Job. Toward the end of Deuteronomy, Moses gives us an illustration from nature as to why Job didn't die in his comfortable nest like he thought he would. He writes in chapter 32, Moses does, about the eagle that stirs up the nest of her eaglets and flutters her giant wings over them. That Hebrew word translated stirs up speaks of rousing them up as one would shaken someone who's been a deep sleep. You know how that is. Perhaps your wife had to do that to you this morning. Get you up. You shake you. Come on, honey. Get up. Or the kids, perhaps it was like that. That's the picture. It's very violent. And why does she do that? It's all to get them out of the nest where they had grown to be quite comfortable, safe, and secure. I don't imagine those eaglets, if they could imagine, ever thought that they would find themselves falling falling off the side of that mountain cliff, flapping their wings like mad, trying to fly. She knows she has to kick them out of the nest. She knows she has to make them uncomfortable because they must learn to fly. They must learn to advance as eagles. Whether they want to be kicked out or not, whether they want their little nest disturbed or not, it has to happen. So she actually throws them out, lets them fall head over heels, we would say. All the while, they're just furiously flapping their wings. Of course, they never hit the ground because she swoops under them just at the right moment and bears them up on her eagle's wings and puts them back into the nest where the whole process starts over again until they learn to fly. So God was not going to allow Job to die in his nest like he thought he would. He was not going to allow it. The time came when the Lord had to disturb Job's nest and cast him out. 
Change, change had to come. No matter how painful and how frightening that change might be. Times were changing for Job. It's this matter of how God's people still need their nest disturbed by the hand of his providence that introduces us into the passage before us this morning. Israel is on the verge of entering into the land of Canaan. And in preparation for that, Moses has begun to recount Israel's history over the last 40 years. This is a good thing, you know, to recount the history of the Lord's people, to look back on how the Lord has led us along in this pilgrim journey. It's a good thing to light the lamps of yesteryear, but but we must never try to live in the past or try to live off of the past. It must never come a point in time where all we're talking about is the past, as if there is no future. While the past mercies of God can indeed be a source of encouragement for us all in the present, we must never be satisfied with that. What we all need is a continual, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, if you're a child of God, what we need is a continual up-to-date experience of Christ, an up-to-date experience of what it means to have faith in God, to walk by faith, an up-to-date experience of what it means to have a growing love for him and a growing likeness to him. So, the only day that's going to come about is if we make progress, if we go forward, or to stay in our nest, To stay in our nest is to stay in a rut. And if I remember correctly, one of Dr. Paisley's quotes that he loved to quote was, the only difference between the grave and a rut is the depth of the rut. But to advance in our personal Christian life and for the life and witness of any church to advance and make progress, there is one thing that's crucial that will always be found if there's going to be progress, and that is change. This truth is set before us in this passage, especially in my text found in the last part of verse 6, where God spoke to Israel at Mount Horeb and said, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. What's that about? Ask yourself the question when you read God's word. Some text grips you. Stop and say, what is that text really about? What I want to speak from the last part of verse 6 is changes at the hand of an unchanging God. Changes at the hand of an unchanging God. The first thought I want to leave with you is the great preparation for change. The great preparation for change. Notice carefully the first half of God's statement to the children of Israel. Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. We're going to 
get to that part in a bit about long enough. But do you see the truth that is lying quietly on the surface of that statement? Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. It means they needed to dwell in that mount. They needed to dwell there before they would be ready to hear the command to leave it. They needed to be there. Upon leaving the land of Egypt, God brought Israel to the foot of Mount Horeb in the desert of Sinai. Before them was the land of blessing. Before them was the land of Canaan. It was the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey. The land promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. But time was needed. Time was needed before they would really be ready to enter that land of blessing. So God kept them camped at the base of Mount Horeb for almost an entire year. They'd been used to moving for 40 years, place to place to place. He keeps them right here on the border for an entire year. But what took place during that period was all in preparation for the time to enter the land of blessing and progress and growth. What happened? What did they experience in that year they were sitting camped at Mount Horeb? Number one, it was here that they were given high and holy views of God that they hadn't had before. They saw that mount burn with fire. They saw the lightning and they heard the thundering from the mount. They heard that loud trumpet of God and it put fear in them that they had never had before. Certainly the terrors of God's law, which was what that was all about, prepared them for the land of promise. The terrors of God's law prepared them for the land of promise. Secondly, during this time period, they were given the instruction for proper worship. Pattern, the pattern for the tabernacle was given here, and the building of all that pertained to it was done during this time. The whole Levitical system of worship was established and taught to the children of Israel. Here, God is saying, here how I am to be worshipped. It was here that they were taught a very needful and a very painful lesson that God will not be worshipped any old way that man wants to worship him. They tried that with a golden calf, and you know what happened as a result of that. They learned there like they had never learned before. You don't toy with worship. God regulates how he is to be praised, how he is to be worshipped, how he is to be taught. God sets the standard, and you don't deviate from that standard. They had to learn that lesson. And sadly, they had to learn it time and time again. The judgment was severe. Trying to do it their own way. But it was all necessary to prepare them to hear God say, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. It's time to move now. Let me say the same thing applies to, to you and to me. We, we may want ever so badly to advance in our Christian life, to be more fruitful, to have more fruit of the Spirit growing and being more like the Lord Jesus. We often pray that, make me like your son. I want to be like Jesus. 
And I believe our desires are sincere as far as we know our hearts. We want to advance in our knowledge of Christ and of his word. We, we want to taste something of the fruit of the land of blessing. We sang it this morning, lead me on to higher ground. I won't, don't want to dwell where doubts and fears arise. Get me higher, Lord. But the prerequisite for that is that we dwell for a time in a land, so to speak, in which God has placed us and his sovereign hand has led us. It may well be that we've been living for some time in a land that would feel like a wilderness to us. It's all preparation. It may well be that as it was with Israel, the Lord has led you to a place in your life where you have to face deep affliction and deep trouble and deep loss, heartache and pain. But it's all preparation to answer that prayer. I want to be like Jesus more than I am. Remember that there must be a time of dwelling there before God will say, all right, it's time to move on. Perhaps there are higher views of God that you need developed in your life. More scriptural views of who God is. A deeper understanding of how holy he is. Of how much hatred he has for sin. How much of an abhorrence it is to him. That there are no flexible ways when it comes to God's law. A growth in the fear of the Lord. Perhaps there is something in your worship, whether it's public or whether it's private, that needs to be amended before you get on to the higher ground. Indeed, perhaps you've been guilty of some form of idolatry that has taken place, the place of God in your life. As I'm sure you've heard from your own minister's mouth, that oft-repeated quote of John Calvin, our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. Always churning out some new idol. Something that we think will take the place of God. Something that will take the place and give us happiness and joy and satisfaction. And they only make matters worse. And the Lord says you need to have this time of preparation to learn that. Whether or not any of that is to be true of you, rest assured there will be for all of us a time when we must dwell in a difficult place. We must dwell in a difficult place in order to prepare us for future blessing. Secondly, look with me at the gracious purpose for our changes. The gracious purpose for our changes. God told Israel, ye have dwelt in this mount long enough. It is time for change. Now we do ourselves and the cause of God a great service if we will endeavor to keep the sovereign will of God in the forefront of all of our thinking. I say that because it is, it is so common 
a common tendency among the people of God to look at secondary causes when they are faced with change. COVID was a big change, was it not? COVID was a big change for this country. COVID was a big change for my country. Big change for our cities, big change for our churches, big change for our families. I was speaking with someone recently about over here in your lockdown period. We had states where it was variable. Thankfully, I was in a state where it wasn't so locked down. But over here, you got locked down. You had to live in a bubble, right? Ten people you could visit during that time. My heart went out to people who lost their loved ones at that point in time. They couldn't see them. Couldn't see that couldn't be there at their deathbed. And they had to stay indoors, basically. Ten people was all they could see. Unless you have gone through the loss of a loved one, you do not know how hard it is to be alone. It was a help to be able to get out and to go to church and to fellowship with the Lord's people. You talk about a time of change? It was a time of tremendous change. And things continue to change at a breakneck speed in your country and in mine. If we could bring back someone from the dead who just died 10 years ago, they would be aghast at what they're seeing take place in the world right now. When you have someone, a learned, a learned person, sitting before a Senate committee and saying that men can become pregnant. You realize how much things and thinking have changed. And that change that has taken place and that will continue to take place is going to be our experience. As we would say in America, you ain't seen anything yet. Change. Our nests are going to be deeply disturbed beyond what we could ever imagine. What I want you to remember is behind it all is the sovereign hand of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing takes place apart from the reign of the Almighty. Soul, the hymn writer said, Soul, forget not midst thy pains. God o'er all forever reigns. In my country, everything has become political. You can't, you've got your sides, Republicans and Democrats. The masks, the lockdowns, the schooling, the education, sports events. Everything is now political. Of course, if that's the mindset, there's no understanding that this isn't about conservatives and liberals. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. There's a war going on between God and Satan. That's what it's all about. And we forget that. In the midst of all the changes that you are facing right now, and I know not what they are, you do. Remember that the sovereign hand of God is at work. Nothing happens apart from him. All that came upon Job could not happen apart from divine permission 
Satan could not lift a finger apart from God's permission. It was part of the plan. The lockdown was part of the plan. The deaths were part of the plan. Those that were spared were part of the plan. The loss of the job was part of his plan. The keeping of the job was part of the plan. The word of God makes it very clear that God and God alone is the one who wills changes in our lives. No change, no matter how small it is, no matter how great it is, will ever come into our lives without being placed there and planned for by the loving, wise hands of our God. He alone is the one who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. And that word all means all. He does as he wills in heaven and in earth. The entire universe is his domain and his scepter holds sway over everything. That's the reason why Paul could say, and the only way it makes sense, that God makes all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That can only work if God is in absolute control. Not only control, but directing the affairs of the universe. Matthew Henry called it uncontrollable sovereignty. God does not ask us to believe that everything and every change that is brought into our lives is in and of itself a good thing. He doesn't ask us to believe that. Bad things happen to God's people. He does not ask us to like everything he brings into our lives. Several times, particularly toward the latter months of my wife's life, She would say to me while lying in bed, John, I don't like this. I said to her, honey, God never asked you to like it. All he asks you to do is to trust him. You must remember that. In all the changes, he doesn't ask you to like it. Just to trust him. Therefore, we can believe with assurance that God's will and purpose is always gracious, always gracious as it touches his people. Therefore, I can tell you with complete confidence this morning, whatever changes you are facing right now or whatever changes you will be facing, they are changes that God has willed and as part of his gracious purpose for your life that you can always bank on. It's a certain thing. But this fact leads me to say that these changes, since they are part and parcel to God's sovereign will, are necessary. Now, the question I want to try and answer is just why God purposes these changes 
Changes that sometimes, well, sometimes we like the change. Sometimes we don't like them at all and we don't want them. And we say, Lord, make this change go away. Lord, stop this from going on. Lord, I can't take this anymore. Please. First, God purposes changes in our lives because of our tendency to get settled down in this old world. That is your tendency, it is mine. That's why we like to get a nest built for ourselves and settle down in the nest. We like the same thing to be done on every day, no disruptions. And we really, even when there might be a disruption, we can become anxious about what if this happens and what if that happens. Why? Because we like to get settled down in this world. The apostle wrote in Hebrews 13 to these Hebrew Christians who were undergoing changes like you and I can't begin to appreciate. Families being ripped apart, believers being put to death for their faith on an ongoing basis. He wrote to them, here we have no continuing, that means abiding or enduring city, but seek one to come. He's telling them that. You need to remember this, these changes that you're going through, or might go through yet. We here have no abiding city. We're looking for another one. To take the words of the old Negro spiritual, I don't know if you know it over here, but we know it well in the States. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's right thinking. were described by the apostle in Hebrews as pilgrims, tent dwellers, tent dwellers. But in spite of this testimony found all throughout the scriptures, believers still have this propensity in their attitudes and in their actions to live as if this world is their real home. And they hold tightly on to this world. They hold tightly on to the things of this world. I remember one of our ministers many years ago. His mom and dad were moving and she had some piece of a plate of china, a decorative piece on the wall. It was old, it was expensive, and it was dropped and broke to pieces. And she got all upset. He said, Mom... You've been holding on too tightly. When you hold things so tightly, it really disturbs you when it's taken away. But if it's a loose hold, it can be taken away. It doesn't shatter you. We tend just to get settled down and want to hold on to these things. And we've always known. God knows that. And he orders changes to our lives. He knows we need to change. He knows we need to learn what it is to have a loose hold on the things that are just given to us for a time. They're just borrowed. That's it. They're all known to us. 
And he can take them away whenever he wills. I think of David at Ziklag. You remember him? He fled from Saul, went to live among the Philistines, and he, he built the city Ziklag. Just, that was his home. His men dwelt there. And it was so comfortable, he would go out to war against and kill the Philistines and come back in, deceiving the king all the while. I'm, I'm going against the Jews. No, it was against the Philistines. But he's there, and he's nice and comfy. Until one day, an enemy comes in and totally destroys Ziklag and takes away the children and the wife. It's now he sees it off and the smoke is rising. You know what God did? He changed David's life. David needed to advance. He wasn't walking as he should have been walking at that point in time in his life. He got and settled down in the world. And the Lord burned Ziklag to the ground. It was time for change. If the Lord does not do this, Bring these changes. There won't be that getting to higher ground that we sing about. All it will be is empty singing. We won't get there. And God knows it. He brings the changes. David said in Psalm 55, referring to the lost, the lost now, because they have no changes, they fear not God. So it's a good thing to have changes. There is an interesting metaphor used in the Old Testament to describe people who seldom experience change. Moab is described in Jeremiah 48. Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. So, so God is likening Moab to wine that has set undisturbed in its uh, vessel for a while, long time, and all the sediment, the leaves, all the sediment has settled to the bottom and remains undisturbed. In Zephaniah 1, God said he would come and punish the men of Jerusalem who were settled on their leaves. In other words, it's not a good thing to be settled on your leaves, unchanged. Brothers and sisters, we need God. We need God to bring change into our lives, no matter how much that may disturb our world. Because all too easily we forget that we are pilgrims, that we are strangers. We're just passing through. God also purposes changes in our lives to keep us from becoming perfunctory in our Christian life, mechanical. Doing the same thing over and over again, day in and day out, is not only monotonous, but it leaves the person doing that thing without thought. I used to work years ago. Uh, after I finished my college over the summer in a battery factory. You make car batteries. And I had this one job. And you do it over and over again, hour after hour, shift after shift. There's no change. Very little. It becomes monotonous. 
you and it also becomes dangerous. Dangerous. You forget to think about what you're doing. Do you realize how many accidents have actually happened to men who were doing the same thing repeatedly and they thought without thinking they did something they would have never done if they had been thinking about it? There's a spiritual parallel to that. We become mechanical in our walk with God. We may start out on some task in the work of God in our Christian life with zeal, but it isn't long before that freshness leaves us and actions become dull and lifeless and we find ourselves living in a rut. You know what I mean? Okay, Sunday, we get up, we have the breakfast, get the kids ready, go to church, hear the sermon, go home, take a nap. If you do take a nap on Sunday afternoon, you get ready for the evening service, you do the service, you go home, and then you start work on Monday morning, go to work, you go home, have supper, do whatever you do between supper and bedtime, and it just becomes routine. You read your Bible, and okay, you've had your devotions, you read your chapter or two, you read your devotional book, and it's just routine. But after a while... You lose the alertness and the attentiveness and the carefulness that you should have. You hear sermons, but you don't listen to them. You read the Bible, but you don't hear God speaking to you. You pray, but you say words. And there's no heart. There's no passion. There are no tears. No longing desires. Everything has become mechanical. Your life becomes perfunctory. You can pray. It sounds very nice. We all know what it is to pray the prayer jargon, if you understand what I mean. The stock phrases that we can use in prayer, but freshness. Freshness. Because it's coming from a living, vital, throb, throbbing relationship with the Lord. You're, you're actually speaking to Him and He's real to you. And it, it, it's not jargon. It's really, this is my heart being poured out and it doesn't matter how the words come out. It doesn't matter if it's correct grammatically. Just as if you know you're talking to someone right in front of you. It's, it's real. But that can be lost when we go on and on and on with no change. So the Lord comes and he disturbs our nests and wakes us up out of sleep. There, there are new troubles, new testings. So I would look at COVID. This was a new testing. It was a new challenge. It shook God's people out of their ruts. You've got to start thinking about things now. Things are changing. Our world got turned upside down. When that happens, the Lord disturbs the nest, we'll be able, as a result of that, to be able to 
go at it with a, with, with a fresh zeal and interest that we lost when things just got mechanical. The biggest change you would like to see, of course, where things really get stirred up is revival. That's God changing in a marvelous way. And to tell the truth, I believe that sometimes, well, we'd rather have the revival than to have those upsetting, painful changes. Easier to have revival, you know, in that sense. Wonderful times of blessing, does the power rest upon us? But, you know, brothers and sisters, revivals are unique things. Throughout church history, they're very unique. But the kind of changes I'm talking about this morning are not unique at all. And it's how God works in the normal day-to-day, year-to-year, century-to-century living of his people. These changes. God does not want to be served with mechanical worship, mechanical prayers, mechanical singing. So Wesley would say to his people, sing lustily when you sing. Not just loud, yes, do that. But lustily, with passion from the heart. God purposes these changes in the third place because we will never make progress without them. We will never make progress without them. If they had remained dwelling at the foot of Mount Horeb, they would have never gotten into the land of Canaan. If you want to go from point A to point B, you can't stay at point A. And that is true in spiritual life. You say, we say, we want to go on with God. We want to make progress. So that means we're at point A, which means you want to get to point B. Well, you can't get to point B while staying at point A. Therefore, there's got to be change. There's got to be change in your life. There's got to be change in my life. There's got to be if we want to move on. And if the growth is going to come, those changes, no matter how unwanted they may be, have to come in. Fourthly, God purposes changes in our lives to enable us to do more for him. When we get settled on our lees and we get content in our little nest, we reach a point where in that set of circumstances we have reached the, what I would call the saturation point. We're not doing any more. Saturated. Our work for the Lord, what we can do for him, comes to a standstill. And in order for us to be enabled to do more for him, he either brings change in us, or so often it is, he brings the change in us through change in our circumstances. It's more, you see, that the Lord wants you and me to do for him. I was sharing with my, uh, what I call them, my host, keeping me up this morning. Not keeping me up. <laughs> They're keeping me up as far as where I'm staying, but they weren't keeping me up this morning. Uh, there was a, a situation, and I just forgot what I was going to say, getting off on that one. It was about this change. They're going to tell me afterwards that I was talking to the table to them about, but uh, 
how the Lord comes and changes us in our circumstances. And that's what he wants to do, that we'll be able to do more. Yes, now I remember. I flew for the first time my trip to Ulster in 87. In London, we stayed for, all the students were staying for a few days. And there was a, uh, the, the assistant pastor in that church and an old gentleman who was his father-in-law picked us up at the airport in London and brought us to the church where Brian Green was the pastor. He was a, an older gentleman, very jovial. His face just beamed. He's a believer. Just You could tell the joy of the Lord was upon him. He had one leg missing and he kind of hopped around, but he was so happy. And I just stopped to take the time to say, I want to thank you for going through all this to pick us up this morning. You know what he said to me? I've never forgotten it. He said, oh, I always like to do some wee thing for the Lord every day. Just some little thing he wants to do for the Lord, just for the Lord, not for himself, but just do it for the Lord every day. Do you know, brothers and sisters, how... The life of the church would change if every believer had that attitude. I just want to do some wee thing for the Lord every day. You see, God will bring changes within us so that might happen. Thirdly, the great precaution in our changes. The great precaution. Notice very carefully the opening words of our text. The Lord God spoke. The Lord God spoke. This change was made on God's authority, not on man's. It was not Moses saying it. It was God who was ordering this change. And that same truth was illustrated the whole time they were in the wilderness. It was God who said, it's time to break camp and move. God's order. When the pillar of fire Move, they move. When it stopped, they stopped. And here is a, a warning I want to give. You see, there are, in the body of Christ, people who love change just for change's sake. They get bored easily. They get bored with their job, and they move on to another job. And they get bored with that job, and they move on to another job. They get bored with this living place, this home, got to have another one, move on somewhere else. Always move, because they just love change. There, there's a warning here. Change only comes at God's command. It's easy to make changes of your own accord just because you like change. You can say, I need change. I need to change. I need to change this job. Well, I need to change my church. Well... Let me tell you, if that's the way it's going to be, that change will bring with it a whole new set of temptations, a whole new set of trials, a set of trials of which you may know nothing about and you wish you'd never changed at all. You may think that things are going to be better. The grass is greener. But you'd better let well enough alone. If God's not bringing about the change, you'd better let well enough alone. There's nothing like having a heart and mind that's contented with where God has you. With where God has you. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. If we have that contentment, 
with where God has put us, with whatever circumstances he has placed us in in life, we won't be anxious for change. Do not be in a hurry for change because of any reason that comes from your own understanding and from your own heart. But if God sends the change, you welcome that with open arms. No matter how much it disturbs your nest. There will come a time when the Lord says you've dwelt long enough in this mount. It's time to move on. But only then do you move on. Fourth and final point and very briefly. The glorious prospect for our changes. Whenever you're facing change. You're facing, as far as you can understand, an uncertain future. You know not what lies before you. You don't know what that change is going to bring about. You and I have no idea, as we see times changing, as we see our countries change, as we see the rise of Satan's kingdom and the war that's being waged against that kingdom at a level we've never thought we could see in our lifetime. We have a prospect in spite of it all. It doesn't matter who the next president is of my country or who the next prime minister it is. It doesn't matter if it's the Labour Party or the Conservative Party. It doesn't matter. There are things that are not going to change no matter what changes take place. You remember that. No matter what changes you're facing, however different things will be. When you lose your spouse, when you lose a child, oh, it's change. But there are truths about God that are not going to change. I can assure you on the authority of God's word that you have the prospect of God's presence no matter what the change will be. No matter where you'll be, he's promised, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's promised, I will never cast you away. You'll never be cast off. No matter what's changing around you. He's promised, we have this prospect of his protection. It doesn't matter how much the the enemy rages. God will protect his people. The good shepherd is all ours always. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? What are you afraid of? Fear so often grips the people of God. What in the world are you afraid of? When you have God, the creator, the great protector as your God. This God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide even unto death. The word unto actually means over death. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid I might lose my job. Well, if you lose your job, was that not part of God's plan? And if you lose your job, does that mean that God stops providing for you? Does it mean he stops protecting you? 
If you lose your spouse, if you lose your child, does that mean that God will stop providing for you the sympathy and the tenderness and the gentleness that you need? He will let you go through that all alone? I can tell you he won't do that from experience. I have never in my life known the Lord's love and nearness as I have this past year. Never in my life. You have the promise of God's provision for anything you will ever need. I am poor and needy, David said, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. It doesn't matter how much things will change. I can only conclude, as I sought the Lord for what I should preach here, that There's got to be some child of God here this morning that's going through a lot of change and needed to hear this truth. Else why in the world would the Lord tell me, preach this? Or you're about to undergo some great change in your life you never planned on. Our changes are always in the hand of an unchanging God. Believe that. Depend on it. And you can say, no matter what happens, it is well with my soul. God wrote that word on our hearts for his namesake. Let's bow.